Welcome to Blog Talk Radio in high fidelity. Good morning. This is attorney Vince Davis. This is Get Your Kids Back Now. This show is dedicated to keeping families together and to fighting the tyranny of CPS and DCFS social workers. The secondary purpose of the show is to educate parents and relatives or to at least show them where to get the necessary information for their fight. The final purpose of the show is to remind the people that change can be effectuated at the ballot box at the state and federal levels. Let us unite, vote, and elect those who will make the necessary changes. I want to remind all our listeners that in California, uh, and I believe in June, there are going to be some important Superior Court Judge elections. Please look at those elections. Please vote. Make your choice uh, accordingly. This morning we're going to talk about some things that you can do to help your attorney in your juvenile dependency case. And we're also going to take calls from our live audience. Um, I wanted, you know, I was asked to give a... um, seminar uh, presentation uh, at a facility um, this week, and I I showed up, and one of the first things that I told people, and I want everybody to understand this, is that everyone has a sense of justice, and it's all different, and usually your sense of justice is based upon your experiences, your beliefs, and what people have told you. The problem with that sense of justice is it's not real justice. And there's very little in common between your sense of justice and real justice. There are, There is some commonality, but real justice is based upon laws. It's based upon appellate cases. It's based upon rules uh, that they have in the courtroom. Now, generally, most people, most parents, most relatives aren't familiar with those laws, those rules, and those appellate cases. And, you know, a lot of clients try to get me to move to what their sense of justice is. And I'm always trying to get them to move to what my sense of justice is. Now, I tell this to a lot of people, and I want you to think about it as you move forward in your cases or whenever you're in a court or legal situation. Being right does not equal winning the case. Let me repeat that. Being right does not equal winning the case. So I tell a lot of clients, look, if you want to be right, I I probably can't help you. If you want to win your case, I can help you with that. So before you talk to a lawyer, before you go to court, decide what you want. Because lawyers can help you win cases. Um, Not all the time can they help you show the world and show the judge that you're right. The first thing that you should do um, when you're working with an attorney in these types of cases is write down a list of 25 relatives by blood, marriage, or close family friends and give it to your lawyer. 
just in case your children have been placed in a strange foster home or with an unfriendly relative. Please note there are relatives that have priority over other relatives. For example, I'm involved in a case where when I came into the case, the uh, children were placed with, I think, third cousins once removed. And um, they had initially made the report to CPS that the children were, quote, being abused, unquote. And they were somehow rewarded by given, by being given the children. But biological grandmother and grandfather wanted the children. The code specifically says that the relatives of the child should be placed with relatives and there are some relatives that have priority. So we're in the middle of a fight now of trying to have those children moved from the first cousins to the uh, grandmother and grandfather. The second thing you should do is have those relatives and family friends fill out a form called JV285. Now you can go ahead and Google that and you'll see the form here in California. And I suspect that that form is, or a form like it, is probably published in every state in this country. And it's um, a way to notify the court and the social worker that you are, you are an interested party and that you want to either have placement, have visitation, go to activities, etc., with the child. And the court is supposed to <clears throat> rule on that JV 285. The next thing that you can do, and this is going to take you some time to do, is to write out your story. I'm not asking you to tell the facts. I'm asking you to tell people, tell your attorney the story of what happened. Because, you know, you don't get your children removed in a vacuum. You don't wake up one day, social worker's at the door with the police, and they take your children. There have been things that have been happening uh, outside the courthouse, in your life, in your family, um, that has precipitated uh, the reason for the social worker trying to take your child away. Now, the reasons may be false, but the, that doesn't change the fact that the social worker is knocking at the door with the police or with the sheriffs. So write out your story and type it out. Um, I had a client, actually this was a client where we were suing the social worker after we got the children back. They wrote me the story. They wrote a story that was 299 pages, double-spaced, and had over a 1,000 exhibits attached to it. It took them about four weeks um, to to do that, and it took a lot of work, but they did it, and they were able to give me the story. So that's the first, next thing. The next thing you should do is you should make an appointment so that you can sit down with your lawyer and discuss the case and discuss a strategy, a strategy where you guys can um, develop witnesses, develop the story, develop exhibits, so you can present them to the judge in court. You know, a lot of people complain to me that the judge was unfair. Um, and, and I'm not arguing that some judges may be unfair, but what I really see a lot of times is the judge rules on the evidence before her or him. And a lot of times, parents go to court, they don't have any evidence. 
And I want to tell you something. Your attorney arguing is not evidence. Evidence is when witnesses get on the stand, including you, sworn under oath, and they testify and they tell the story. Evidences are documents that are given to the judge and that are admitted into evidence. So you, your attorney has to make sure that he or she knows how to get that admitted into evidence. Then the judge makes a decision. But please don't be surprised if you go to court and you don't have evidence, you don't have witnesses, you don't have exhibits, and you lose because you will lose. And it's not the judge's fault. It's either your and or your attorney's fault. So I'm asking people to take responsibility and do these things to help them um, win their cases. All right. The first thing I'm going to do right now is I'm going to take a call because I'm kind of backing up in the queue. I'm going to take a call from area code 323 ending in 23. Good morning. You're on with Vince Davis. Do you have a story to tell or a question to ask? Uh, good morning. I have a story to tell. Go. Um, well, I appreciated what you said about what precipitated DCFS intervention. Um, back in 2008, I got into a relationship with a foreign international that had been naturalized in the United States. And I met them at an event in their house in the Hollywood Hills and embarked in a relationship. And we had discussed and planned and agreed that we would be in a relationship together, get married, and have a child. And um, about three months into our relationship, his family, who was not from America, decided to embark upon um, what in their culture was traditional to uh, alienate and disagree with the relationship so they did many many things um to break us up and so uh, i ended up moving out of the country and getting a job in india and getting a good career in india and in coming back from india on a break and then returning i became pregnant with this person and then um Continued working during my pregnancy in India and then was told by this person, come back and we'd keep to our agreements and be together and have a family. Um, when I returned back to America, pregnant, uh, I think they passed a law in India that day. When I flew back, ironically, that men, women, 18 or older can choose how they marry without being beaten, tortured, or burned by a village. So I figured coming back to Van Nuys was a safe bet. Um, when I returned back, my um, would have been mother-in-law came at me with a knife. My sister-in-law, who would have been my sister-in-law, who was educated PhD, naturalized citizen, hosed off my clothing, my computers, and then the brother to the person I was with um, spray-painted the vehicle I was driving from top to bottom with spray paint. And they lied and told the police that I had come at his elderly father and created a fake police story. And while I mean, I was early in my pregnancy, basically was in the midst of like turmoil with these people and they you know tempted to try to make me have an abortion and harass me they took a business plan I had anything they could possibly do to terrorize me and so I went and I had my child um, in Ohio in seclusion 
Um, and he was born. No one was there. The family didn't accept him. And the person that I was with had, I guess, had a dowry with another woman who was vested in real estate and financial um, relations with their families. So she began to retaliate. Her family began to retaliate. Um, and at that point, my partner was arrested when my child was, our child was eight months old for domestic violence for grabbing at my neck, throwing my computer. And he was actually planning that day to go to watch his sister-in-law that had hosed off my computer do a marathon or a triathlon that day, I remember. And um, basically, Ventura County Sheriff's wanted to press charges or the DA investigated. And I ended up getting an ex parte and leaving the country with our son to go overseas. And I lived over, and I did get a restraining order. And I went overseas, lived with my son. I worked at a midwifing clinic and, you know, had him involved in everything that he needed. And we had a really healthy life. And then my, the man that I was with started, you know, like most people that get in bad relationships, wooing me back into thinking he was going to change. So he came over there when we were becoming, um, we had a legitimate visa in another country and we're actually becoming kind of citizens of another country. And he helped, he, I used up my resources on him and he had promised to help with support and, you know, be with us. And he basically left us there and went back to the United States. And so I had foolishly depleted a lot of my resources and needed to be repatriated to the United States. So when, um, you know, I ended up going, my, I had, a, my family has since then deceased, but they, you know, worked in government, they were in police, they workers and, you know, civil servants. So they were kind of, kind of looking at me like I was out gallivanting with my child, where I was actually just going to live in a condition where I could provide for him as a single mother. But when I came back to the United States, the other party wouldn't accept us as a citizen, and we couldn't get repatriated without having sponsored the United States. So when I flew back to the United States after a 32-hour flight to, the, to California, he wouldn't take responsibility, so we had to be rerouted on our repatriation um, flight to the East Coast. So I went back to um, someone that I knew who was an acquaintance or family friend to stay with. And all during that time, I had been in recovery, and I reconnected with an AA sponsor that I had had for six years prior. And I had attended recovery meetings even in the village and in uh, Indonesia where I was living. So that had always been a foundation for me. And while we were on the East Coast, I went and attended like a meeting and then another meeting. And the person that was driving me back and forth was a professional transportation driver and, you know, drove people to and from airports and such. So the day that I was dropped off at this recovery club, I had my son all geared up with all the kind of stuff you have when you're a mom, diaper bag, you know, Bijorn, everything. And I was approached by um, a man that was offending me. And I had seen him at the meeting two times before. He kind of seemed to me, I don't know, we're gangster, but I wasn't comfortable. And I called the police on him. And he was like grabbing at his crotch. He was harassing me. I had left out of the club and banged my leg on a table with my son. And not, my son was not injured, but I was obviously jangled. And I just want to give a note. Three days prior, my and bumped his head. So he had a small mark on his head, but nothing noticeable. I actually had a photograph three days earlier of us attending like a community event with him smiling with the thing on his head. But anyway, what happened was, is the police came. I was so jangled. The, before the police came, the man that I had called on left the scene. I imagine he was either ditching a weapon or drugs or something that he had on him. 
he returned back and told the police that I had shook my son and banged his head on the ground and was dangling him over a railing. I had no idea what he had told them. I knew nothing. All I know is I was handcuffed. My son was ripped out of the BB du jour and screaming. And the next thing I know, I was 5150 and my son was placed in foster care in a place where I hadn't lived there in 10 years. I had gone to college there 10 years earlier, graduated with honors, worked in the museum system and the radio station out in that town. But at the time, I was so humiliated and just thrown for a loop that this had happened because I was a sober woman, a good mother, and it was like, it was like a bad movie. So when I got out, I thought, oh, great, they're just going to give me back my son. And that wasn't the case at all. It was like, basically, I was having to find a place to live, get a job. I went from having a career as an art director to box cutting in the basement of a Burlington Coat Factory and stocking things and being forced to take very heavily sedating psych drugs and taking a bus line and a bird every day to go visit my son with some strange lady where my son was getting sick and screaming every night and not sleeping. And he was pushed around, I think, two different foster care um, during that process. And during that time, I went to like an outpatient program and ended up seeing a psychiatrist who said, I'm sorry this happened to you, my dear. You were at the wrong place at the right time, wrong place at the wrong time. He ended up writing a letter saying that I was in his care, I was capable of parenting, and they finally released my son to me. During that time, my ex was called immediately, and he came out immediately and was granted a really good attorney. I, I didn't even have an attorney that spoke with me. No one really wanted to help me during the case. And he used this as an adversarial, he, he pretended to be with me. He lied to the judge and said, my parents are accepting her. We're going to get together and we're going to go back to, to um, California together. Well, when the ruling came and they closed the case, and it wasn't sustained, have you, any of the things that I did with, or I was said to have done with the shaking or the banging my son on the ground, it was not true. And the person didn't even formally come in and testify. He showed up one day with sunglasses and he called in on another day. So what happened was, is the, sorry, the person that my ex, after the case was closed, he tried to take my son and just take him and kidnap him and bring him back to the East Coast, excuse me, to the West Coast. So I didn't let that happen. I had someone else that was helping me and I took my son and I spent about nine months doing church work and going back to where I went to high school, taking care of my son and just regrouping. In the meantime, that doctor that islamic doctor that signed a letter i had kept it all that time that he i was at the wrong place at the wrong time and i was in his care and i went back to a doctor that i went to high you know i knew in high school and got everything cleared because i was forced to go on disability with the case and i got a power of attorney over my finances again and got myself regrouped lo and behold my ex started to reel me back in and said come back to california um i didn't want to and a lot of people i wanted to because of course it's my home but um, basically, people said, don't do it. But before I did, I filed a clemency with the governor of California um, on what was alleged in Pennsylvania. Now, granted, you have to say that it happened, even though it didn't happen. I filed this because I didn't want my ex to use this adversarially because he actually, in Pennsylvania, conceded that it didn't happen, was on my side, and that my son, our son, was put in an unsavory environment and it traumatized our whole family. We actually probably would have had grounds for retaliation, but whatever. When we got back to California, 
he again, his family started in again. Um, I ended up getting SAG with my son. I went there like with nothing and within four months started working, had three jobs, had my son in preschool, had my son in what he needed. And I was like single mama and I had ended up having to get a restraining order against my ex again. And, um, we were, I was actually had to file victims of crime relocation because where he had moved us, I was getting assaulted by the neighbors who were kind of like gang related sort of people, not what I had, was accustomed to. Um, and I had to get involved with the North Hollywood detectives and it, they granted me victims of crime relocation on two cases. It was for DV for him and then civil harassment from the neighbors. They ended up taking the DV from him and putting it under the neighbors. Well, once I moved, uh, we went to family court, and my lawyer basically said, don't show up in court, and it got moved to DCFS court, and they were supposed to give me family preservation. I went from being with a restraining order, city protection with my son, sole custody, to DCFS totally investigating me, and what my ex using that alleged allegation in Pennsylvania with page after page after page of burying me in legal stuff to going to an acting class and coming home and having my son removed. Um, leading up into that, um, the social workers were switched four times. They were on strike. Every time I would make an appointment with them, they would say that um, I wouldn't show up. Um, the person that actually removed my son went to high school, excuse me, elementary school, high school, and college with my ex in the Valley, which I kind of felt was like an unethical thing. And I had called at the time the director at DC. I made the mistake of when all this was going on, using my background in education, like, don't you know who I am? And I would call the superiors. I would, they would promise me that's not going to be your social worker. Well, within a week, they had removed my son. And all the protection that I had, everything went out the window. I had an old AA sponsor up north that worked for prepaid legal. And I had filed for a federal tort malpractice lawsuit against the East Coast Hospital where I was 5150. And I got a letter back from them that prepaid legal and Parker Sanbury dropped me, started using the name, and that I had a letter saying that doctor wasn't licensed nor practicing during the time of which all this allegedly, when it, it, it did transpire, but they were saying he wasn't licensed. So all of this was just more garbage piled on top of me to try to get to the root that I was a good parent. And I had actually been the victim all along by this family and they were very connected. They worked in the school system. They worked in, and, and I, what I did is I systematically filed papers with every, excuse me, um, political person that I could see. I had, I had about 36 letters with seals from people back advocating. I worked with the custody project. I wrote to the judge advocate, excuse me, the judicial advisory committee. I complained to anyone that would listen formally in letters. And I basically was getting ready to go meet with a congressman in my house. And when I went to a police supervised exchange at the local police department, I had a home invasion at my house. My computer, all of my documented art, my career work, and all the letters were taken. And 15 minutes later, I got a call from my ex saying, do you have my documents? And then which I kind of skipped fast forward. Four days before my son was removed, I was hit in a car accident on the Hollywood freeway which kept me from having a vehicle to go to my appointments. And I ended up having to have um, an ankle replacement surgery throughout all of this. So all along DCFS was saying that I was this incompetent, mentally unstable mother where I was just completely inundated 
I can neither confirm nor deny by the other party, but the circumstances which brought me to the point where I was supposed to fast forward, like I am currently in my situation, basically every single day in a program to jump through when they say how high to get my child back. Because fast forward, after my child was removed, I spent four years with family court trying to get my middle son back. I, you know, I was obviously sober the whole time. My ex had said I was on everything from MDMA to promiscuous to anything that he could say to defamate my character, which in other courts would be illegal because you're innocent until proven guilty and would be considered perjury. But in DCFS court, it's just fair game. So I ended up hiring three different attorneys. I went to bed at um, Harriet Buhai probably four times, Christian Legal Aid eight times. Um, I applied to the people's law school, and I went to a psychiatrist for about four years, hired a parenting class into my home, um, went to individualized counseling, and I ended up meeting someone, falling in love, and getting a really decent job and starting over. And I was told, just start over and start over. So four years into, three years into our relationship, we got pregnant. And we got engaged, we had a baby, and we did everything that you do when you're really stable. You know, we have a garden, we work, we part of the community, we go to church. And like anyone, um, I have a diagnosis. So with someone who's never had kids, we went to therapy. Um, I think our child was like four months old. And at the time, we had already been to parenting classes, had parenting at our house, and took every precautionary matter measure in case this agency ever came into our lives again so we went to therapy my a few red flags came up because they're like why are you ptsd (laughs) well why am i ptsd i want to talk about and process what happened with dcfs the first time without being persecuted you know or feeling scared to share you know i had been in dv group as well and there's no safe haven so that person red flagged us opened up a DCFS investigation. We went through the investigation. You know, they went through our house. We hired an attorney. We interviewed. And we were, at the time, enrolled in everything. And then over Christmas, we had had a problem. My my partner was, in my opinion, having some problems with acclimating with our new bound, you know, (laughs) life and, you know, financial stresses or whatever happened. So, I made the mistake of calling the police. I called the police and I, because I tried calling our family counselor. It was over the holiday. I called my AA sponsor. I called a friend and they said, take the baby and your dog and go to a family's house and then just give him some space. When I came back, he had taken a picture of my clothes, like he was throwing them over the fence, which he had done a lot, which to me, I mean, I'm just being honest, it's, it's not physical violence and it's not grounds for moving a child and it's not mature but that's what he did so the police came and they i was listed as the victim oh i anyway so that happened i'm going to say in between that whole time that i just described when we got together when we first met he had had a girlfriend living in the house it was his ex-girlfriend who i guess then became a friend or a roommate and she was supposed to move out. This is unrelated to us, but she became kind of like a fatal attraction. Um, I, at the time, I was supposed to go do some studying abroad, and I had gotten a new job, and I was making headway and getting my middle child back, Haitian, and my grandfather had passed. He was 100 years old, and 
I snapped out on him and threw water on him or tea and we had a physical altercation and he called the police on me. Um, I, he told me to flee the scene. Now he's a trained police officer. Didn't, he didn't become a police officer, but he went to academy and he's a black belt and he's very trained in um, personal protection. So I, at the time, felt that I was gaslighted and it was more of like a relationship thing, again, than a police matter, but it became a police matter and it was all dismissed. So from the time that I had this, this DCFS issue a long time ago to this incident into present time, I had been in recovery, parenting classes, DV classes, individualized counseling, recovery, and I became live scanned and gainfully employed. So in the program, we say you get a second chance in life and sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. But that timeline can look a little bit confusing to DCFS when they have one social worker come who sees it. And I didn't talk to on this particular time. I was told, don't talk to the social worker. Don't be, you know, just be aloof. He talked to them. And basically, we had two investigations, two walkthroughs from the house. And two months went by, and my counsel kept calling, going on, what do you want us to do? And in the meantime, we got into parenting class, and we were doing everything that we knew a judge would have ordered for, for anything, just precautionary. Well, I came home from work and was with my seven-month-old infant that I was nursing, and a police officer and a social worker came in and had me removed from the home. They said um, either he... If they take the baby and put him in foster care, or I leave. And they left my, our child with my fiance. Um, I'm not going to say how I felt, but it was not good, especially in lieu of the fact that I don't look good on paper. But when it comes to being a good mother and accountable and nurturing, I was 100% hands-on. Um, and the, the field of work that I work in, I work with children and infants and special needs people. And I interface with people daily on a very good level. So it was just shocking to me that there wasn't a common courtesy um, address and that they didn't. And I found out that the social worker who made the grounds for removal interviewed my ex and who was actually in one year, a year and a half past contempt. Last time I tried to go to family court prior to getting pregnant, um, he was thrown out of our supervised visit that we were going to for a year at a psychiatrist. And the psychiatrist said, I will never let him in my office again. He's a troubled man. And I forgot to mention that my ex filed a TRO about two years ago against my fiance, which took us about four months in peer court to prove that he had perjured himself. And the superior judge said, you're harassing these two, you need help. So he's pretty much done everything he can to try to keep me from happiness. So the social worker, the third social worker, our first social worker in this case resigned, the second one interviewed, and then found like, I don't want to use the word patsy, but found a patsy social worker that didn't even interview my fiance and I, but interviewed my ex and went to the police department and dug up an old police report from three years ago and present time it saying that I was violent over Christmas. So now the whole grounds is mother's crazy. She bangs babies' heads on the ground. She's, um, you know, called the police. She, she called the police after she physically pulled the hair of the father and She's not done anything DCFS has asked us to do. So that's what I have. And I appreciated what you were saying about what's wrong or right or winning your case because I know my truth. 
but on paper, you know, it doesn't look good. And I know that my children love me dearly. And I also have, I guess that's all I have to say. Well, thank you for sharing your story. I appreciate it. And uh, keep listening to us. And if anything else comes up in your case, give us a call next week or the week after. Okay. Do you have any advice? Okay. We're going to take another call right now from area code 951, ending in 29. Good morning. You're on with Attorney Vince Davis. Do you have a story to tell or a question to ask? Hi, good morning. I have a story to uh, to tell. Go for it. Um, 2016, my husband was arrested. Uh, I've been married with him for five years, and he was um, violent in every single way. And finally, I decided to stop the abuse on August uh, 2016. Since then, um, he makes my life and my child life miserable. Uh, there's, I start reporting to the I report to the uh, CPS and the police that my son comes with bruises and scratches and he was abused by my husband because my son told me he my son was three years old and when the night that he was arrested that he beat me I was carrying my child he was arrested for um, less than ten hours. And he was released, and since then I've been in a nightmare with the children's services. I've been asking for help, and they turn everything around. My uh, my husband was uh, abusing my son, and there was enough uh, proof of that, but nobody wanted to see it, nobody wanted to hear it, and nobody wanted to help me. Help me. Finally, on September 2017, without any investigation, without any anything, without any reason, my son was removed from my, my home. The allegation was emotional abuse. I never hurt my son. I never done anything. Only thing that I done is to love my son, protect my son, and follow the CPS Children's Services um, advice. They told me to report every single incident. They told me to do all that um, to protect my son. If I didn't do it, they will accuse me of neglected, which I don't, I'm not. And I follow all the instructions, all the advice that they gave me. And it's the same thing that they twisted around against me and they accused me of emotional abuse. I have all the, like, uh, 20 reports, police reports with the restraining order um, violations for my husband. He had a history of being abusive in other relationships. And even with that, the social workers put the child on, on, on with him. They gave me just visits. And every single time that I try to uh, have my son back, I've been treated by the social workers. The first time uh, that I say, uh, you need to help me, and you're not doing anything to protect my son, and my son comes with bruises, and my son is telling me that he's just putting him, 
the the social worker what he did in retaliation because I told him I'm gonna talk to your supervisors because you're not doing nothing in these months that have been happening. In retaliation, they removed my son in a week from that age with no nothing, with no reason, with no. They don't investigate nothing. He just get the warrant. They uh, wait for me in the exchange place that was a police uh, station. Uh, he gave the child to the father, and when they went away, I was served. I didn't know. I didn't know that there was any any allegations. I, nobody told me anything. Nobody investigates nothing. They just get the warrant and remove my son. They don't tell me where the son going to be, and they don't allow me to talk with him for three, four days before he was removed. When I asked the day that the child was removed, I asked to the social worker, "What? Why? Why you removed my son?" He said, "I don't have to talk to you. Call your lawyer. I don't have to tell you anything." That's and what the social hands, worker. Yes, the social worker just give me a paper that say the warrant and they are removing the child, and he says uh, he don't have to tell me anything. And say, but why is the reason? And he said, read the paper, and the paper was nothing. Was no reason, was nothing. Just was, we are removing the child from the mother, and I did not even know that child is gonna be with the father. And, and at the court, I tried to tell them that I didn't do nothing. I, I, I had the proof I have a criminal protective order against the father. I have the proof that my son's therapist, that child, told her that he was afraid of the father and he was hurt by the father. I have um, pictures. I have police um, that have been with me in those days since how he harassed me, how he threatened me, telling me that I'm not going to see my son telling me that he's going to take my son, and he says that to the police officers, too, in front of me. And I've been asking for visits. I'm asking for have my son back. If they court ordered four hours, the social workers gave me two. Every time that I had the time visit, I had to call and check if I'm gonna have the visit. They cancel my visits at last minute. They did a seven two day evaluation and because the therapist belongs to the court they declare they, they say they did a my diagnose but my don't diagnose saying that I have paranoia and and the other one is seeing things that I, I don't see. So I'm, literally, I'm crazy, which I'm not. I'm not crazy, uh, not at all. They just had to. I I've been victim of violence, violence domestic, and I've been victim of the social workers. They deny my rights. They don't allow me to see my son when it's my visit time. 
my son was diagnosed with um, 12 points or less poisoning on November. I asked to the social workers to take him to the doctor to get checked, and they ignored me for three weeks. Right now, he's supposed to have a diagnosed um, check again in a month, and it's four months already, and he's not been checked. He's been sick for weeks. In October, he got sick. He was sick for four weeks, five weeks before he was seen by the doctor. In November, he got sick again, and it's the same thing. I asked to the social workers, I asked to the father, and nobody cares, and the child came sick. In December, the father took the child out of the county, and he takes the child out of the county every time that he wants to. And I don't know what I don't know what can look for my son. I asked to the social workers, please tell me about my son's health. Please tell me about my son's therapy. Give me information about where my sons go. And they say, no, you have no right. You have no right to tell, to say any, to know anything. If you want to keep making complaints, we are going to remove the child from you completely. We are going to recommend to the court, to the child's court and the family court, that you are a fit mother, and we are recommend to give the full so legal custody to the father. If you keep making complaints about your visits because you have no rights to visit. You have to understand that. You have no rights to visit. And they did. The supervisor, uh, regional supervisor, she met me in January, and she told me that. She threatened me, saying that uh, she's gonna report, she's gonna make that report, and she did. She sent to the child's court, saying that she recommends to give full legal custody to the father, and four hours visit to the mother, and mother has to pay. I've been in classes, parenting classes, therapy classes, without the social workers telling me they don't want to accept any of those classes. So they're keeping me busy, scheduling my visits anytime that they want to, when they want to, how they want to, and I had to comply with them. I've been done everything, life scan, everything. It is, I've been... I've been living a horror movie with these people. I received threats by my race, by my language, by my by my financial situation. I've been my personality has been distortioned. They lie about my my morals. They lie and they destroy my imagine over and over. And my son is in coaching and they know and he's still being abused. He comes with bruises, he comes with cuts. He comes sub sometimes shut down and they don't care. They say he's a child. How That's old all that he say they say. He, he is four years old, and my son told to the social workers on July 13 to 17, my dad hurt me. 
I'm scared of my dad. My dad hurts me. And nobody puts that in the report. The, the therapist, my son's therapist, report to the children's services, to the sheriffs, to the poli to the police officers. This child is in danger. They need, he needs to be protected. He don't need to be with the father, and nobody cares. I've been trying to get a restraining order to protect my son, and I didn't get it because he's lying. He's saying, "I have a mental problems. I'm going after his money." because he's white and Hispanic and I and I want his money and my papers or all those things that is not make no sense and I've been ignored I've been hurt I've been abused by children's services right now I have like a 30 hours or so 40 hours visit the hours that they don't gave me, and they say, no, I cannot give you those hours. You lose it, you lose it. So my sons need a lead poison check again, and they don't want to do it yet. He needs to be in therapy, and he barely started therapy seven, eight months after he was removed. He's been sick, and he's not been seen by the doctor. The father is giving counter of counter um over counter medicine and the social worker agree with that and he has fever, he has his throat infection. Every single time that I make any request, my requests are denied. Every time that I ask for something, they say no. Just the father has the right to ask for anything, but not me. I have no rights. I had to accept everything that they say, how they say it, and I don't know what else to do to get my son back. Is your juvenile or CPS case still open? Yes. And when was your last court date? Court date was uh, February, uh, March. 27 and it's it's insane that that was for our I have a court court hearing on February 14 and they placed the child for six more months with the father and they gave me a protest uh, court on March 27 I show up they the social workers and uh, the county, they don't, and they don't file any report. They don't submit any protest report or anything. That's another thing. They not evidence all the my protest reports that I've been given to since October. Nothing that I give it to them is in my file. They don't report anything that has been happening to the file. They ask listen to her say of the father, and that's all that they put in, in the, as evidence. They discard my witnesses. They discard my daughters that have been a witnesses. Every single letter that I get from therapists, from doctors, they discard it. They don't care that my husband is abusive and my son was on my arms when he was arrested because child endorsement. 
they don't care about anything. They say they don't want to hear it. They don't want to know. So right now I had to wait until August for the next, is what they told me, I had to wait. But I say, I'm here, I'm here on the court last Tuesday. I have all the papers from my therapist. I had the t- papers from my classes. I had all the things that you guys have done, my life scans, my business home, everything. I comply with everything. I want to see the judge. I want my son back. you have a pen and a piece of paper? Yes. <clears throat> I want you to write this telephone number down. Okay. And I want you to call call it and make an appointment to talk to me uh, later today. Okay. My secretary will be working till about four o'clock. So okay. the number is eight eight. It's eight 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 six five eight two. Six five eight two. So it is eight 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 eight. Yes. If anyone wants to see my story, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I I I miss I miss the last. Okay. I'm ready. Uh huh. Thank you. If anyone thank wants to, to know, no, thank you. If anyone wants to know about a little bit amount about my story, they can check and go find me. All right, I'm gonna. We're running out of time this morning. I'm gonna to try to take another call. Uh, eight oh five, ending in one eight. Good morning. You're on with Vince Davis. Did you have a story to tell or a question to ask? We had um, my husband's daughter was um, alleged to be molested in her grandmother's home, and we had contacted a social worker that we knew as a family friend from when my daughter was uh, removed from her biological mother years prior. When we contacted the social worker, she advised us that we needed to contact the police, which we did, and they had to assign a department, which took time, to uh, resolve the issue in the and to set up a, an interview. In the interim of that, our daughter had harmed our youngest child, and my husband had disciplined her, and his mother, who was the owner of the home where our daughter was molested contacted the same social worker alleging that we had abused our daughter a month after we had alleged sexual abuse in her home. The social worker had known the grandmother since childhood and without speaking with my husband, without speaking with anyone, removed our daughter and placed her in the home where an open investigation was going for Molestation. Um, okay. During that time, they yes. Hold on, hold on. When they removed the child from your husband, 
did they have a warrant for order? No, they did not. What county did this happen in? This happened in Santa Barbara County. Okay, keep going. Um, they had, my husband had went to pick up our daughter from his mother's house, and his mother um, had the child just somewhere that he couldn't see, and they denied him the right to have her and told him that he could not see her until he met with a police officer later that evening and the social worker. So he waited until the evening um, and was told that he would be arrested if he had tried to get his daughter from his parents' home before meeting with the officer and the worker. When he met with the worker and the officer, the officer interviewed him and told him that he didn't believe that my husband had meant to harm our daughter and that he would not be recommending that any charges go forward and that he believed that it was not an, it, an abuse situation. And the social worker asked my husband to agree to keep our daughter with his parents just for the evening because it was around 10 p.m. by the time they had met at the police department. And my husband signed a safety plan agreeing to that in the presence of the officer. Um, the worker did not put, it was for the evening though, however, on the safety plan. And the safety plan did not advise that my husband had a right to, to say no. It was an outdated form that gave him no indication of his rights. So under the belief that he would be arrested if he tried to get his daughter and that it was only for that evening, he did agree to let her stay to not go get her such a late hour. The following morning, when he tried to go and uh, get his daughter, he contacted the worker to set up the time and she advised him that he could not see his daughter. She was going to remain there. And if he tried to get her, he would be arrested and that she needed him and I to both go drug test. So we agreed to drug test and she stated that if we didn't, it would, we would never have a hope of seeing our daughter again. So we both went to drug test at the facility and unfortunately we're unable to that day. Um, we went back to try and test that evening and they were closed, and so we contacted the worker and asked her where we could go, since the facility she'd sent us to was closed, where if we could go to the hospital, another facility. And she advised, no, it's fine. Just wait until Monday and go back. So on Monday, we went and tested, and we were negative for all substances. They said they were going to send our labs out. We agreed to that. And they still would not allow us to talk to our daughter. They asked us to meet with them. And we, we met with them four days or five days after they had taken her. And they agreed that we would sign a new safety plan, putting her and her two brothers with us. And as long as no further incidences occurred of being spanked, then she would, you know, remain home. So when we got home that evening, we noticed that the plan also stated that it was voluntary and the form was different from the original safety plan form. So my husband contacted the worker and advised he wanted our daughter home immediately because he now knew that this was a voluntary agreement. And the social worker stated that she couldn't change anything that night and because the grandparents did not want to release the child, that she could not release her. The following morning, we were contacted by the worker demanding to know where our other children were because they were coming to remove them because we were found to be positive for drugs uh, such as methamphetamine. Um, we 
knew that was absolutely inaccurate and demanded to see our drug test results, which they refused to provide us. Um, we spoke with the supervisor and explained that we felt that the worker was biased and she was helping the, the grandmother keep the child, um, that she was aware of the other circumstances of the molestation and she, she did not have reason to believe our child was in danger, but the supervisor told us that they wouldn't help us and we needed to come to a, a meeting with everyone to speak about it. And if we didn't agree to that, then they would remove our youngest child, who was 20 months old, and our other son. And at that time, we still were trying to comply with them because we didn't want to have our children removed. So we agreed, thinking that this meeting would be the opportunity to sit down and discuss everything, at which time my parents would come, um, who were also fully aware of the molestation and the issues with the paternal grandparents. We stayed with my, my parents for those few days, and we were not allowed to see our daughter or our other son, but we had our 20-month-old son. Um, another worker came and interviewed us and reported that she did not see any evidence of substance abuse, that the children were, you know, appeared to be safe and fine, that she, she did not see anything that supported the initial worker's claims. So we went to the meeting to discuss our daughter. At that meeting, we requested further information about the drug testing, at which time we found out that those drug tests had actually not been tested properly and that the detection that they claimed was for methamphetamine had not been determined to be either a prescription drug or an illicit drug. And we demanded that that test be performed, which they refused to do, but at the meeting they agreed that they would drop all of the drug allegations and return our children home, except for our daughter, who they said could not be returned home despite the agreement that we were not a danger because she had been removed from her mother prior in 2010 and had an open case and therefore she'd had services before so my husband could not receive family maintenance services. And because of her previous case regarding her biological mother, my husband now could not have her in home without a warrant. So we left that day thinking that they were going to explain everything in the warrant to the judge. We weren't really understanding what was going on. Go ahead. Hello, ma'am? Yes. I'm sorry, we're running out of time this morning. Sure. This is a very compelling story. Can you agree to call back next week, next Saturday, and we'll pick your story up? And, um, yes, I can. we'll take the first caller. Thank you yes. very much, ma'am. Thank you. We have about 30 We have about 29 seconds left in the, the show today. I want to thank everybody for listening. Uh, please call back next Saturday at 8 a.m. and we'll pick I up these compelling stories. And I will try to be giving advice on these stories as well. Thank you very much. See you next week on the radio. <laughs>